for Nathan and the gift that he is. And we want to open up our hearts tonight to receive that which you have for us via Nathan. We bless you, Nathan, to be free and confident in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, it's good, isn't it? It's just good. Stuff's good. Thanks, yeah. It's I picked the cover, obviously. Uh, Sorry, just while I'm sorting stuff out. Don't need two this time. Managed to get it all in one. So, um... Remember the passcode? Nice. Okay. So as I was thinking about what I'm going to share today, <clears throat> there were one or two things that kind of came to mind, and then uh, no one knew what the uh, what we were kind of like the theme was for this month. I asked them last Sunday, and everyone was like, "I don't know." Go and look at the calendar in the church, and I sort of was valuing his presence. And I thought, "Well, that's good." So what now? What am I going to do? Uh, so <laughs> the first thing that came to mind, and that we're going to look at, is two Samuel six. Um, so we're going to kind of just have a look through this chapter and see what it says, see what God's revealed and stuff like that. You know, I read this. Um, I read this chapter in a Bible this week. One of our customers. Thank you. Thanks, Al. Um, uh, was was sorting out some books or something, and she called us in. We were having a cup of tea, and she said, "I'll come and look at this." Uh, and it was a Bible from 1757. Old, proper old, like really old language, and you know Deuteronomy is with an I E rather than a Y, and all of this kind of stuff, and it's got the apocrypha between the New and Old Testaments and stuff like that. It was amazing. Uh, just to think, what has happened with that? Who has God spoken to with that? What has He done that we don't even know about? Um, you know, it was just good. Anyway, so. 2 Samuel 6, we're going to look at four um, uh, kind of things. We're going to look at the voice, presence, sacrifice, and celebration. Um, So it's not going to be any kind of great in-depth thing, but we're just going to touch on a a load of these. Um, It's a fascinating chapter because uh, it's the chapter where he tries to move the Ark of God from Abinadab's house um, into the city of David that he's just conquered. Um, and it's great because he tries twice and one time goes really badly and one time goes really well and it's like wow this is a really good teaching thing <laughs> right in the bible as is so this is great um, oh I haven't really allowed then so we're going to just chapter 5 just to run you into what's happening uh, David gets anointed king over all Israel he goes into battle with the Jebusites captures Jerusalem the city of David um, and starts living there the Philistines hear that he's become king. So they come up and they say, right, we're going to capture him. So they camp outside the city. David asks God, should I go and fight them? He says, yes, don't worry, they're yours. So he goes and he clears them out. They come back again very quickly afterwards. I think it's ha- all of this happens in like six months, something like that. Philistines come back to try and capture him. He asks God again. God gives him the strategy. So don't just go straight out, go around the back and wait for the signal and you'll have them. 
So uh, so he won. So he's won. He's won three battles, and he's been anointed king in roughly six months. So you know, if you think your life is busy, check this guy out. <laughs> so <laughs> let's start. Let's just read some of this. We're going to read a whole chunk down to verse 15. So from verse 1. Then David gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart and bought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart as it left the house, carrying the Ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the Ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, very Spanish, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, uh, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out, out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. It's a troubling two verses. Uh, David was angry because the Lord had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, uh, as it is co- still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Uh, Well, the first thing that struck me here, which I'm not going to talk about, was that he the best thing he did in the first time he tried to take the ark was he stopped. Because with him he had 30,000 men and one civilian died. And as a merciful king he decided I'm not going to risk anyone else's life for this when he could have just carried on. There was nothing really stopping him here. One man had touched the ark but as long as that stays on there we could have just carried on through. So anyway... I'm not going to talk about that, but that that kind of struck me. And verse 12, Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns, which is apt for what today is. <clears throat> so, uh, so the first thing is he's got a lot going on coming into this. He's done all the battles. He's been anointed king. Uh, and now it seems like he wants, it's a good idea to get the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, to where he has just conquered, to where he is now living, um, uh, because all of this success has come. Okay, all of this success he realizes is down to God, and so he thinks, well, why don't I just rather than just hearing the voice of God, which does carry the presence of God, why don't we have the symbol of uh, all that He is, His glory? Why don't we take that from where it is in someone's house, 
which doesn't seem fitting for a God. Why don't we take it in, we'll bring it in, we're going to make a place for it, and it's all going to be great. Um, But he makes the crucial mistake of not asking God how to do this, whether to do this, uh, you know, should I do this, or is this someone, someone else who needs to do it later, and kind of misses, kind of dishonors God by not asking him that question. Okay, it's almost like if I came up to Phil and I just grabbed him and I just pulled him over here and I said, you're going to sit there today. What would Phil, well, Phil would probably go because he's a nice man, (laughs) but he would be a bit miffed, right, to say the least. It's like, just ask me and he'll probably move. But rather than that, he decided to take it, um, yeah, take it presumptuously and, and say, right, we're going to do this and, you know, God, I, this is all right, you know. I don't know whether it kind of almost seems like, um, as you read the first part, it was the it was the thing to do. It was almost like next on the list. I've become king of Israel. I've got the city. Oh, what do I need to complete the city? Oh, the Ark of the Covenant of God would be good. So why don't we go and do that? So... Um, That's good, yeah. Um, so he doesn't he doesn't ask God, and he thinks it's the right thing to do. Um, but God is not. God is interested in relationship, not just what we do. Um, he, um, how do I put this? He will bless us whatever happens because he is a good God. He will always bless us. He blesses the righteous and the unrighteous. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're saved or not. There are still blessings that flow from God. Okay? But I miss so much if I don't keep that conversation with him going, if I don't keep that relationship with him going. There is so much more that I can know and understand in how to live my life by having a relationship with him rather than him becoming the blessing machine in the sky that I kind of do the right thing. I put the coin in the slot, I pull the handle and I get the jackpot at the bottom. He's not interested. If that's the way you want to work, he, there will be an element of blessing in that. But he does not want that. He wants the conversation. And so David comes into this without... Uh, without kind of conversing with God, without that relationship being right. Do you know what I mean? Um, And it's almost like the success has kind of got to him a little bit. It feels like to me, that's the vibe I get, like the success has happened. God's blessed me in everything I've done. Well, you know, that's good, but he uh, he he wants to be included. He's a God that makes himself vulnerable to us. And he wants to be included, and he wants to know what we think, and we want to know what he thinks. Um, and it's amazing how we stop that connection with him when um, things are going well. David talks to God when the Philistines are just outside the city, ready to capture him and take him. But when that trouble's gone, and that need has gone, he kind of just kind of just starts getting on with life again. 
it's not hard to call on God when I have this need right in front of my face, like right here. These people are going to do something to me. I don't know, whatever that is in the modern equivalent. Um, but it, it's harder when everything's going well. You know, I'm someone where my needs, my physical human needs, my emotional needs, uh, family, friends are all around. Most things are met just automatically almost. And for most people here, it's probably the same. I'm not saying that's everyone. And so the challenge is, am I able to keep that going, keep that connection and keep that relationship going when I'm not uh, in need of something? You know, why does the breakthrough always come when I'm in need of something? Because I'm really pushing into God. <laughs> why does it not seem to happen when I've got everything, all my ducks seem to be in a row? Because it's like I've taken my foot off the gas and I'm not going as hard as I could. Um, and I think that's where we kind of fall into the trap of, uh, oh, I've got to be poor and I've got to give everything up and I've got to be right. The need I have to have needs, otherwise God is not going to be able to work through me. God wants to work through you, whatever. He does want to work your need, but he wants to, as to learn how to live well with lots. Yeah. Learn how to live well with lots. Yeah. That's the challenge. Yeah. So... Uh, so that's good. So that's the voice of God. That's kind of honouring that voice um, and hearing what he says. Uh, just keeping that going, whether that is something he asks you to do um, or wh- whatever it is. Just keep pushing into that. So the second one is presence. Uh, so they get to um, Abinadab's house and they put put the ark on a new cart and off they go. So 6.3 says... They placed the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house. And then we look at 6.13, which says, after the men who were carrying the Ark, the presence of God is carried by people, not structures or programs. So, this meeting that we're in right now, this service, brings people together. But that is all it does. In and of itself, as getting together is good. And I'm not saying this is bad. Getting together with friends and family uh, and all that stuff, going to house groups and having that connection with people is what we are created for. But it, only, it will only go so far if the presence of God is not at the centre of it. Like a marriage. I don't know how people do marriage without God. That must be so hard, right? It must be so hard. And marry people say amen. But <laughs> and so it's funny how we can struggle with that. Um, and sometimes the meeting or the marriage or whatever relationship becomes a substitute for my time with God. So if we take this as an example, I've been to church twice today check out my halo right and but that can be it i've been to church twice wow man i must be really holy but i can be here and not know anything about what is going on i can feel nothing i can see nothing i can hear nothing and so we have to um engage with the presence of god at every moment that we can because he wants to 
do something better than a meeting or a service. It's a time to be transformed. Um, and for us to, to as God through us to do the transforming um, and believing that we have that you have a river of life flowing out of you. God has put something in you. The presence of God is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And you take him wherever you go. Mm. Yeah. So don't damn it up. If you get a nudge to go and speak to someone, to go and pray for someone, to whatever it is, okay, in here, outside, at work, at home, it doesn't matter, just do it. Just step out and do it because good things are going to happen. And it gets the, it's amazing how it gets the river flowing. I was here this morning and I was at the back with uh, Jen, well, Jen was singing, I had Lexi and Maya and I was, and I looked over and I saw uh, Andy Kirk, who spoke this morning, I didn't know he was speaking, but I saw him back there and I thought, uh, I need to pray for him. But I didn't step out. And then someone came to the front and said, oh, we're just going to, you know, just bless someone around you. If there's anyone in pain or something like that, just bless someone. I thought, wow, okay, I'm going to go and bless Andy. And I did. Uh, oh, man, it was amazing. God just totally took me by surprise. I was not, expe- I didn't go expecting anything huge to happen. But as you, it's amazing how you, as you're blessing someone else, the blessing comes back and you begin to step into this flow that happens. And sometimes I think we, we kind of think of this, um, I almost think of it like the river comes in, but if I don't let something out, it just becomes this kind of stagnant water inside of me. You know, it's like it goes off almost. Not that, not that God has a... He's eternal, but he kind of goes off. The word goes off because it's almost lived inside of me too long. Do you know what I mean? And so um, it's like stepping into that flow and unblocking that and just stepping out and doing it. I remember we, I told this story a, a couple of weekends ago to some people, but one of the greatest worship times um, I ever had uh, was we'd been on outreach and it, it hadn't gone terribly well. We were coming back to the school in Toronto. So I did the school and ministry there. And uh, a couple of days after we got back, it was our turn to leave worship in the morning and tell people about what had happened, um, which we weren't looking forward to because not a lot had happened. <laughs> and we said, well, we messed around a bit and stuff like that, um, which didn't sound very good when you're going back to a school and they want to hear the testimony so we weren't kind of in a great place, um, and while we were on outreach, we'd done the last worship night, which we always think the last night is going to be great. The last night is the one, and this last night was terrible. And I was leading, and it was like, oh no, this is just ground swallow me up. Um, I tried, you know, I tried everything, being quiet and loud, and all of that stuff. Anything I could do to, for what I thought God wanted to do. But nothing happened. So anyway, so we're back in Toronto and we're leading this. We're about to lead this worship time. And I stand up there. And I just think, wow, OK, we'll, I'll just start and we'll see. And I 
and I hit the first chord of the song. Um, I found a love greater than life itself. I hit a G. I can remember it clearly. I hit a G and just heaven happened or something happened. I don't know what it was, but something happened. And we have to, and it was just a whole bunch of people who had come together who had great testimony and seen God work, who were willing to just participate and engage without anyone from the front saying anything, deciding to just uh, step out and just like, well, I know why I'm here to do. I know I'm here to worship God and I'm here to see that love of God released into this whole room. And I'm not joking. It was... I. I don't really know how to describe it. It's very, it's very hard, but he, like heaven happened in a moment. And not only that, it happened with everyone ex, like experiencing the same thing. I've never been in a place where everyone has experienced the same thing at the same time because they've come together with the same purpose to see him lifted up, to see him break through into this earth. And so we have to, this is another thing, we have to get rid of the myth of the individual. It's all connected. It's all connected, everyone. Look to someone, look to the person next to you and say, I'm connected to you. I'm connected to you, John. Okay? We like to think that God, God comes down, God comes down and, and does something in us and that, oh, that's great, that's for us. But like Head was saying, he blesses us to be a blessing. And if I don't let it out... I don't know what's going to happen to it. Not that God isn't going to do something else, but we have to get rid of it. It's not an individual thing. Salvation is not an individual thing. Okay, I might make the decision, but I'm joining something that's bigger, that's bigger than anything I know. Okay? So that's good. I think that's what I have on, on presence. <clears throat> okay. Sacrifice. So I, I've, I've put this down as sacrifice and purpose. So the sacrifice in the first... There isn't really much of a sacrifice in the first part of this, um, apart from the fact that they make a new cart, which is very nice. Um, he didn't use an old cart, which, you know, there would be no sacrifice at all. So the sacrifice in the first part isn't that great, and it's also for their own benefit. Because it says Abinadab's house is on a hill. Well, if you've ever walked anywhere, uphill or downhill is harder than flat. I always wonder why they put stuff like that in. Why would you put the fact that the house was on a hill? It's because they didn't want to have to carry it. Why don't we just get this great... We've got the wheel, we've got the technology, we've got the ox. Let's just bung it on the cart and that will be done. So the first, so the first uh, uh, sacrifice isn't much of a sacrifice. Um, but that isn't a problem because God does not require sacrifice. Okay? So it's already said in 1 Samuel 22 that obedience is better than sacrifice. So this word has already gone out. So they understand that. They didn't have to sacrifice anything in order to move the ark. It's like just make sure you do it right. Okay? So that's fine. So, all right, the fact that there wasn't a sacrifice is not a problem. Um, 
So he doesn't require it, but does God respond to sacrifice? Yes. So I, I, have to, I don't have to walk through this life constantly thinking, oh, what am I going to give up next? What am I going to do next? How long am I going to fast? How long am I going to do this, that, and the other? He does not require that of us. But there is something about sacrifice that he finds irresistible. That he is like, I don't know how that happens, but you sacrifice your dignity or your money or um, whatever it is, and you say, I'm just going to have this. (laughs) I'm just going to do this and get it done. Okay? Um, So the first part isn't a sacrifice, no problem. The second the second time through, uh, David has heard the testimony of what the ark has been doing in Obed-Edom's house. And so he realizes why he wants the ark of the covenant in the city of David, in the place he lives. And so now, what looks to us like a sacrifice that is not a sacrifice to David because he knows why he wants the ark in there. There is a purpose behind the sacrifice. Okay? Um, yeah. He knew why he wanted it and he knew what to expect because he'd heard the testimony. And so I look at it, I look, we read it like he made the sacrifice after six steps and that may have been every six steps or not, they don't know. But he didn't see it as that. He just saw it as, man, that is what I want and I will do anything to get it. And it's very different being purposeful and being sacrificial are basically the same thing. Because I decide I want to go this way and that means any other direction doesn't matter to me. Although there might be gold in, in them, their hills, it doesn't matter because... I'm going this way and nothing is going to stop me. And so that, uh, that means I might have to sacrifice and other people will look on it like, wow, you are weird. Why are you giving that up? But I know in my heart that this is where I'm going and nothing is going to get in my way. You see, it's like two sides of the same coin. I remember reading about, a, I read some of his books recently, a man called Brian Zand, who was um, a pastor of a big church uh, 3,000 odd um, and in two, kind of beginning of this of the millennium uh, he was everything was going well and everything was successful but he was there as a lead pastor and he was thinking all the time oh is this it is this what is this what it is whatever life is is this as good as it gets is this what happens and so he had um, he had uh, uh, a few years later kind of had a big moment, and um, at the beginning of 2004, I believe it was, he decided I'm going to fast, and so he fasted for 22 days. Okay, and he lost a lot of weight, and he was not in good health by the end of that. But he knew there had to be something more. And he was not going to let anything stop him from getting to that more. Whatever that was, whatever that looked like, to us, we think fast 22 days on water or whatever he has having. Personally, I probably wouldn't do that unless 
I had a big sign, like we had a famine <laughs> or something like that, which I, I hope we don't. But <laughs> in his mind, he was after something. And so it didn't matter the cost. And then he spent about the next something like three or four years between 6 p.m. and midnight. He would just read and read and read the Bible and all of these other um all this other good stuff that was out there for six hours a day for about three years, he said. And it just it's absolutely transformed him and, and what he's doing and he's moving in a very different direction to what he was. Um, so purpose. So maybe think of sacrifice as why am I doing this? If you just sacrifice for sacrifice's sake, don't do that. that yeah, it's just silly. It's just silly. There's no great thing at the end of it. Okay. Sacrifice. Okay. And celebration and joy. So this is the last last part. And the celebration uh, was different both times. Okay. So the first time, 6-5, verse 5. Uh, David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets and cymbals. So they're just doing a worship service with castanets. Let's get them in the band. (laughs) And nothing was bad about it. It was good. It was fine. It was what, it was what they would just normally do. Okay. Um, what they did when God did something great. And then we contrast that with 14 and 15. Uh, And it says, David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all all, all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. I just realized that they do, all the people of Israel came with him but the first time only 30,000 went with him. So it's bigger, okay? It's bigger and it's intentional, okay? The word there's a, the, where it says he danced, it says it three times, David danced, and then later on in the chapter, it says here, a leaping and dancing. Um, so those are three different terms for dance. So that is, one of them is karar, K-A-R-A-R, to whirl and dance, uh, this one's good, pizzazz, because you've got to have a bit of pizzazz in there. Uh, that's to leap or to spring. Uh, and rakad, I assume, R-A-Q-A-D, uh, which is to skip and leap. And all three, all three of these are uh, just wild <laughs> um, expressions of joy uh, and praise to God. So where you see the word celebrate... If you said to someone, um, we're having a wedding and we're going to celebrate, or some great festival, some great feast, whatever, this is not what they would come to mind. This is like uh, next level weird, like wild stuff, okay? Imagine that with me. Imagine me going crazy, something like that. Um, Maybe that's why we call this space. Maybe I should not do it. Um, (laughs) Uh, and I think this is really important celebration and joy 
Um, in that I don't think our joy can be full until we step out and see God do something. Which links back into that, if I hear the whisper from God, I just have to go and do it because I don't know what's going to happen, but something might happen. If I'm not there, I'm not going to see it. So why don't I just get there? Um, And it drew something out of David. This time where he saw the ark moving and he saw it coming into the city, it, it drew something extra out of him. Whereas before it was a good idea, now it's the idea. Now it's like this is this is the thing I am meant to be doing now. And I've heard from God and I know what it's all about. And so he, he starts and it draws something out of him and he celebrated while before the ark entered the city, before it entered the city. And then he carried on in the same way when it was in the city and he offered burnt sacrifices and blessed all the people. And then we look at how they use their voices in this. So verse 5 says they were singing. Verse 15 is there were shouts of joy. Okay, Shouting and singing are different things, although it may not seem it when I'm leading. I apologize. I just shout until I hit the note, and then uh, that's fine. But uh, <laughs> so, <clears throat> so it's just it's more exuberant. It's more out there. It's more going for it. And then we look at the instruments: the lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals were just there. They probably thirty thousand people going for a nine-mile walk to wherever the ark was. Probably some people just had those there. Chances are. If you've ever hung out with musicians, there's a ukulele in the car, there's something around, or they will make something. They will drum with their fingers. Karen, you must know this. <laughs> You're nodding your head. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so they were, but they were kind of normal instruments. We go back to 15, and it's the blowing of ram's horns, okay, which is, a, which is to sound the alarm or... Uh, to sound that the king is coming in um, and it's an intentional they, they might have had those around with them but probably not if they were just they weren't prepared for it so it's an intentional thing they were going to intentionally celebrate before the ark came into the city and after it got into the city okay and it's loud there's no mistaking you know some people are really into the shofar thing you know that's good and it's good and I think it's interesting that I happen to have this now I had no idea that it was Jewish New Year or any of that stuff and then people started saying oh trumpets and shofars and stuff and I thought oh I've got some of that in here which is good Um, so it's a declaration and a proclamation that the king is coming in and that it's a new day that it's a new thing happening it's a new thing happening. It's a new season. It's a new life. Um, and I'm feeling good. <laughs> Thanks. I won't sing it. I won't butcher the song. So it was loud and intense and intentional. Um, he didn't just use what was at hand. And we'll just do a just do a last little bit. I didn't. Where about Michael uh, when David? dances into the city and she's upset because it just is not befitting of a king. Um, Well, we're all kings and we're all priests and we're all leaders here. 
It doesn't matter who's at the front. Um, and sometimes people just won't get it. People won't get uh, the sacrifice. People won't get why I come here two times on a Sunday. People won't get why I pray in tongues. People won't get why I might fast sometimes. People won't get all of that stuff. People won't get why I read my Bible. And Christians probably won't get why I do some of the things I do, why I lead worship in the way I lead. But that's all right, you know. And I'm sorry to say it, but Jesus said there might be suffering. So, (laughs) you know, not that we aim for that, but that might come. And it probably will come if we start stepping into who we're meant to be. Um, So I just encourage you, keep the voice of God at at the forefront. Keep it there. Let it be the thing that you follow. Chase the presence of God. Find out where he's moving. Go there. He is moving in this place. Revival is starting in this place. No, revival has started in this place. That's a better one. Don't look at sacrifice. Look at purpose and what I'm doing and what God has called me to. If there's a dream that needs to be reawakened, let it be reawakened by spending that time listening to his voice and go after that and don't get put off by people. And when it starts to happen, when the dream starts to happen, celebrate with all that you have. Come and tell us. Tell everyone you know. Get up the front with a mic. Go and tell people at work and say, I've had this dream and this has happened Be bold and courageous because God is with you. God is in you. And you just got to let him out. Unblock it. Unblock the dam. Let that river of life flow because he is with you. So I think that's amen. I think I'm, I'm done. Amen. Amen. What are you going to do about it? Just pause for a moment. We don't want this good seed to fall on the ground and die. There must be fruit. So Holy Spirit, help us to make some quality decisions tonight about where we really want to go. What we really want to have happen in our lives. The kind of relationship we want to have with you. That powerful decision making go on in this moment, Lord. We can turn aside from every distraction that is other than your presence. May my value of your presence be the number one thing that steers me.
May we despise all else other than knowing you, God. We pray tonight. Amen. That's the way to do it, Nathan. That's brilliant. Thank you. So, uh, band, would you like to come up? Sue, will you come and join me? In these last five minutes, I would like to give an invitation for you to join in a prophetic act. Nobody has to do it. 